two years now. Yes, ma'am. It seemed like something uh, underground, everything exploded down at 8777 calling. A building doomed from the start. With water to cement ratios that suggest the concrete may lack sufficient durability. 98 people lost. Something inside of me said, run, because this building will collapse. Investigators inch toward answers. Why did it happen? Who's at fault? New laws prevent buildings from suffering the same fate. All, all back that way is collapsed. Champlain Tower South about to be replaced, but not without a fight. And Surfside calls it respect to add another luxurious building. That is not respect. The families, the change makers, the questions, all live this week in South Florida. Good morning, I'm Glenna Milberg. Grateful you are with us this hour, all dedicated to those 98 people lost in Champlain Tower South two years ago this weekend. Parents, children, grandparents, loved ones, you will hear from their families. Of the catastrophe our community has endured over the years, a few have prompted change, big changes in the way everyone in South Florida lives and operates. The collapse of that Surfside condo by the sea is one of those. New laws and regulations, new concerns, safety concerns, financial concerns. We will examine all of that this hour. The collapse of Champlain Tower South laid bare the consequences of neglected signs that an aging building needs attention and money. Florida lawmakers responded to that with a mother load of changes, first in special session and then in this past session to tweak the changes when the consequences to homeowners became apparent. State Representative Vicki Lopez, Republican from Miami, was the State House lead on that bill. She is right here with us at the table today. Vicki, it is great to have you. We're, we're for everyone to know we are first name basis <laughs> kind of gals. Okay. We are indeed. Okay, Thank great you, to have you with us. Um, well, of course, we're going to hear from the families. We're going to hear a lot of about it, but really the headline is those state changes are going to be affecting, are affecting right now everybody. Um, first, the sledgehammer of changes, and then this session, you and your colleagues kind of tweaked to find a balance between safety and affordability, and that has to be tough to do. It, it was, in fact, I think very tough to do, and I think there's much more work to be done. I think this is just the beginning of putting a little bit of clarity, transparency, and giving some direction um, to those that are, you know, in charge of actually implementing this law. So you, you represent Miami Coral Gables, Key Biscayne. You represent a lot of condo dwellers. I do. Actually, the majority of my, you know, the eastern coastlines, whenever yeah. you look at the coastlines, you're looking at condos. And what have, what have you heard from them? I think everyone is concerned. Um, I think there's confusion, so I think that this coming year we're going to have to do something about uh, educating condo boards. There's confusion about, you know, what is expected, when is it expected, what do condo owners have to pay, which I think is the largest piece of this pie. 100 percent, and I want to let you know that later in this hour we're going to talk to a, a condo attorney, David Haber, who I talked a little bit about with him just in preparation, and he was talking about homeowners associations yes. are just in a position now of being walloped with a financial future and having to make decisions as elected boards that they've always had to make and probably in many cases as in Champlain Tower South 
didn't make those right decisions. Yeah, and I think that that's part of Senate Bill 154 that we passed this year is to really emphasize the need for a structural integrity reserve study, which tells you what your financial assessments are going to have to be. And I think it's going to be rather shocking to many people, especially since many condo boards waived assessments over the years. Yeah. Uh, let's go through the the initial changes in special session. The, fir the first round of changes really focused on engineers going into the buildings, making those inspections, lowering the threshold of years from 40-year inspections to 30 and in some cases 25 on the coast. Um, and then a couple of other things that they did really needed to be changed by you and your colleagues because it just wasn't doable. Right. And one of those things were they found the amount of inspectors and engineers just, just weren't available to do that. Yes, yeah, so we, we finally decided that it can be under the jurisdiction of a, of a, of a you know, certified architect or engineer, but they're able now to hire a team of what we call design professionals. I still think there's going to be a problem with that. I'm hearing now awesome. from architects and engineers who are saying, look, we don't want to take on the liability. This should really be mm. structural engineers. And so, you know, there is that there is that question now of who will do these things, especially since it's the license of the licensed architect and engineer that's at stake. Right. And so what's the timeline that you're looking at? So the timeline is that any building that's reached 30 years of age by December 31st of 2024 must have already completed its milestone inspection by that date. You know, in uh, Champlain Tower South, you know, this has been in the news for two years. I know so many people, especially a really engaged audience that we have that watch this program, know all about what we call the Morabito Report. That's the engineer for Champlain Tower South, who in three years before the collapse in 2018, gave a report outlining the structural problems and outlining the deficiencies and putting in the report it needs to be addressed. And we know what happened when it wasn't in time. So what now, how does the law address an engineer or a report that says those things? So the milestone inspection has to be sent to our local building officials. And if they find after the phase one that there's need for a phase two milestone inspection, which means there is some structural issues, they will have only 90 days, between 90 and 120 days to get a building permit to fix it. If not, they can shut them down as an unsafe structure. And, and so the accountability is built into this. It is, it is. And what, what have you heard from your constituents? So my constituents are much more concerned about the financial impact, quite frankly. I mean, I think than, that- Than the safety? Well, I think that they know that in Miami-Dade County since 1975, we've been doing building recertifications. So we're just lowering now the threshold from 40 to 30. But let me just stop you there yeah. for a moment. In Miami-Dade County, you've been doing 40-year certifications, and yet you had a building collapse, which was not was just becoming just under there. its 40-year. But still, you have one. I know just by virtue of the reporting that we've done, when in the last two years, early on in late 2021, you had all of these condo dwellers re looking at their building that might have been 20, 30, 40, 50 years old and a, a crack in the ceiling of the garage. And, and in fact, a lot of buildings were all of a sudden cleared of people. Ha where is that fine line between knee jerking right. and really addressing problem. Well, so I think the 30 year is going to make a big difference. If if Champlain Towers had been certified at 30 years, they would have found that there were some significant structural issues and they would have had to have fixed it. 
Um, I think the problem there was that there was no financial reserves to do so. And because they'd been waiving financial reserves, which was a huge problem in South Florida, as more retirees moved here, right, of course. boards were less inclined to want to hit someone in a fixed income. And now, unfortunately, we're going to have to play catch up, which is going to be really very painful. So let's talk about that fixed income issue. Yes. As we play catch up, yes. using your words, what do you forecast um, in your expert opinion with what I know you are deep in the weeds with I'm this. Deep, deep. deep. <laughs> forecast for us the in a in a community where affordable housing is the a number one issue and challenge. What are what are people going to be facing? So I think because there's a sort of double whammy going on here, um, property insurance is hitting mm. condo owners as well. Even in my own condo, we went from four hundred thousand a year to a million one a year. Wow! Right. So that's just property insurance assessment. That's hitting all all homeowners, if you will. However, for condo owners, they're now being hit with a financial assessment from the Structural Integrity Reserve Study. So we're going to have to find a way to figure out how do we give maybe fixed income you know, retirees a little bit more of a glide path. But we can't give them so much that by the time those structural components get to their end of their useful life, that there isn't any money to fix them or replace them. So I think our next guest may have uh, an idea about that. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz is up next, and we're, we're going to talk a little bit about a bill she filed that is aiming toward the financial component. But, but just in the short time that we have left, th there is, you have colleagues on both sides of the aisle who are really unified. This is one of those bipartisan issues. What do you foresee? Um, it, it, the laws are what they are. There are more to come. What do you see still to come? I'm, I'm actually hopeful that we'll start mirroring some of the Miami-Dade County's ordinance. Huh. This, this particular bill that we passed is only for condo buildings. We have not yet said that apartment buildings or commercial buildings are safe or unsafe at the state level. Oh, so this isn't for any building. No. Ah, that's new. I'm not, I'm I'm just learning that. I wonder yes. if that's uh, well known. So my meetings yeah. with the county officials has sort of enlightened me to the fact that I'm just focused on condos because I'm specifically looking at what happened at Champlain Towers. But we have hundreds of thousands of apartment buildings throughout the state. I don't know if they're safe. So that's the next question I'll be asking as we move into this session. This is monumental. It is. It is. State Rep. Vicki Lopez, always great to have you on the program. Thank you so and very much. And I know much you're always in touch with us about this. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Next, the days and weeks of heartache following the condo collapse riveted the nation and is now the reason for bipartisan bill just mentioned, just filed in Congress ahead of the two-year anniversary. The South Florida sponsor, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, is right here with us next. any doubt that the response to tragedy erases the public political divide, even temporarily, look to a bill filed in Congress this week aimed at helping those who are about to face those costs of new safety changes to condominium law. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Democrat whose district did include Surfside during that time, she filed a bill with Republican Congressman Bill Posey, who is a conservative from Rockledge, Florida. The Congresswoman is with us right there live on Zoom today. Good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Glenna. Great to be with you. Thanks for really focusing in on this important topic. Thanks for letting us know about it this week. It looks like, just from reading through it, it looks like the goal here is really to help people 
afford the mandates of the new state law we were just talking about with Vicki Lopez. Uh, looks like it's all about the money. Is that, is that right? It, it really is. And even before the legislature finalized their decision, thankfully, to, uh, to prevent condominium boards from waiving reserves and kicking the can down the road, as so many had done for so many years, uh, we, the Congressman, uh, former Congressman Charlie Crist introduced similar legislation. He and I co-led that legislation. But we focused in and combined the effort uh, for this Congress to ensure both that condominium associations have the ability to finance these, uh, these repairs and also that condo residents can finance the assessments using the federal, the FHA home loan program, as well as ensuring the uh, potential losses that, they, that private lenders might face. Uh, because the risk is something that many of these lenders don't want to don't want to take and we've got to make sure that people don't get buried under the debt of their assessments boy i feel like we're talking about windstorm coverage there are a lot of similar similarities there it sounds like let me let me go back to something you just said because it, now it's all falling into place for me because in researching and reading the bill i i saw these other two bills last year uh, sponsored by then Congressman Charlie Crist, that that went nowhere in Congress. W why didn't they move? Well, you know, <laughs> the, the founding fathers uh, in our of our country intentionally made the legislative process uh, a challenging one, and so <laughs> this is the kind of this is the, that's the most diplomatic way I can say it. You know, so um, that legislation was introduced later in the session and. This kind of legislation needs some time to percolate. You have to have it bake in and build consensus around it. I was really thrilled um, that I was able to get Congressman Bill Posey, uh, who sits on the Financial Services Committee where this bill will be heard, um, to join me in co-leading it. Uh, and you know, in the legislative process, Glenna, relationships matter. Congressman Posey and I have served together for more than 30 years. We've served and we were elected together in 1992 uh, in the class of, of 1992 in the State House. We served together in the State Senate and now in Congress. And so we have a longstanding relationship and we spent some time talking about it and he, our staffs came together and agreed that this was so important, and not only across the state of Florida. Uh, he represents, you know, the uh, the treasure, uh, the um, the, the Space Coast and uh, and all up and down the, uh, the the East and West Coasts and even as we saw in Iowa just a few weeks ago uh, that there were there are buildings that really face structural integrity issues because of neglect and because of a lack of investment to make sure that repairs can be made. 100%. So his constituents are just like your constituents in yeah. many ways. Um, and I, wanna, I don't want to get too inside baseball here, but I no. think <laughs> that the process, especially for, again, we have an audience that is so engaged and so astute. And I think it's important to realize you reaching out to Bill Posey. I actually met him in when he was in the State House. He is a very conservative Republican, and we actually did invite him um, to be with us today just so you know and he declined but but to have the two of you in a bipartisan fashion present this to Congress is really a very big deal it, it is I mean we couldn't be more polar opposites but again we have forged a bond of trust over many years and have all he and I actually through all three legislative bodies have always been able to find a way to work together Congressman Posey uh, and I have supported one another's uh, legislative endeavors you know when they really uh, when you can cast partisanship aside and and around tragedies like this one 
especially those that have implications in the future in terms of the safety of, uh, of our constituents, there, there really isn't anything partisan about making sure that someone's building doesn't collapse around them when, uh, when they're sleeping in the middle of the night. And, 100%. Uh, so nationally, and I know the nation, you know, you mentioned Iowa, but the nation is looking to Florida now to see what happens here, maybe as a model. Nationally, there is about seven and a half million condo residents. And what you're talking about, making federal loans available to people who need, not for damage, but for preventative and for reserve money, um, that that's a chunk of change. Have you figured out the costs of this? Well, this would allow for federal, you know, the Federal Housing Association to make loans uh, in order that this is not uh, providing funding, direct funding to condo associations or condo owners. What it does is it widens the aperture of the federal housing loan program so that it can include condominium assessments and uh, and special assessments for structural repairs from by associations. But that, that does open up, I'm sorry, I mean to, the, the Zoom makes it very difficult to have a back and forth conversation with. Um, it, it does open up, it's, it exposes the federal loan programs that are involved here to a lot of exposure. But I guess that's what you were talking about before, really limiting, there's a component to the bill that limits that. Well, we also make sure that we allow private lenders to insure against losses when they're in, when they'd be loaning to individual condo owners or condo associations for these special assessments. And not to get to two in the weeds, but we modify what can be considered collateral, including the asset, the future assessments that can be used as collateral. Right now, it's just real property that can be used as collateral. So, making sure that we make a, a, the kind of adjustments necessary. Uh, it's critical because, as you said, when you were talking to Representative Lopez, um, I mean, cost does matter here, uh, but but safety is the utmost priority. So yeah. uh, I'm going to do everything I can to try to get this legislation through Congressman Posey being on the Financial Services Committee. And by the way, the chairman of the com committee, Patrick McHenry, also being a classmate of ours. Uh, I'm, I'm planning to uh, to go and talk with him with Congressman Posey so we can really, uh, you know, see if he, we can have a hearing on this. That's what the critical first step is. And then I'm also interested in talking to Senator Rubio about joining us uh, in leading this effort in the Senate. Uh, right, uh, we have about a minute left and I really don't want to let a Congresswoman from South Florida go before getting your perspective on the events unfolding in Russia this morning. Uh, there, I know the United States and the administration is watching. That's the official line. Can you give us any sort of insight into the next steps on this side? Yeah, that's exactly what the administration's posture is right now. Uh, what's very clear to me is that uh, Vladimir Putin has, his effort to invade Ukraine has completely backfired on him. Russia and his, uh, and his rule is clearly weaker than before he invaded and he's completely undermined his the confidence of his own people in him and you know we're going to have to see what happens but you know when the cracks and the fissures start to uh to start to show in an administration um it, it i think it makes it much more likely that uh that this is not the last time we'll see an effort to uh try to undermine if not remove him from office. And, and is there any concern yet, uh, real concern being voiced about the mercenary group, the Wagner group, who I believe it was just 
a couple of weeks ago, there was a Senate bill filed to designate this particular group as terrorists. Well, I think what this shows is that um, not only did the effort to invade Ukraine, killing literally tens of thousands of people, uh, backfire, but uh, it, it shows even more that we need to make sure that the unified global effort that President Biden has brought to bear against uh, against Putin uh, under the Ukrainian uh, President Zelensky needs to continue. We have to make sure that we continue to provide the, re the non-lethal resources that are so essential to ensure that Ukraine can remain a sovereign nation and to demonstrate to the world that, uh, that this is not something that democratic nations will tolerate anywhere in the world. And uh, I think Putin, Putin is getting a pretty clear lesson about the consequences to his actions. We are watching in real time. Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, always great to have you aboard. Thanks for, for rocking and rolling with us a little bit. My pleasure. Thanks. All right. Up next, the people who matter most, the families, two years later, right here. continue now with those who still and forever are dealing with profound loss and so many questions still the families martin langesfeld lost his sister nikki and brother-in-law luis in unit 804. michael noriega lost his grandma hilda who lived in 602 and we are very grateful that the two of you are here together i know a lot of families just have been so private and you two of you know, very few of the 98 families have really stepped up into the public light. And I want to get a sense, Martin, we'll start with you. How are you able to do that and why? It's really hard. It's really hard. Never having been in front of cameras before, never having to grieve in a way, mm -hmm. and then having to step up the plate. I started this before my sister was even recovered. When the land went up for sale, and my sister wasn't recovered yet, I said, how do I get this message out to the world? People need to know what's going on. And my biggest ally was the media. I can either speak to 100 people or I can speak to a camera that the whole world can, can see. And when I started seeing the impact that you guys as reporters can have, and take that also to the legislative process. Mm, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's, you know, so you have a specific goal you yeah, know, that we'll talk about. I want to hear from you, Mike. I mean, your grandma, um, your dad was a police chief, has been a police chief of various cities. And, um, and I think that day, the first inkling I personally had is when I saw Miami Beach's police chief come up on the beach and I thought, yeah. wow. And so you are a very, you know, and somewhat a public family. As a public service entity, you are a public family. Is that, was that difficult for you? And is that part of the reason you find yourself able to be in the public eye? Absolutely. I think for my father, um, this was extremely hard for him. It, that was my, my grandmother, but it was his mother. It was mm -hmm. his last remaining parent. And she's lived there a long time. She had lived there 20 years. And my dad, he just asked me, it was really truly an honor. He said, listen, will you represent your grandmother's legacy? Will you represent me? And will you represent the inquiries that we get? And it just became the honor of my life. And I think uh, I speak for Martin and I, where we're looking for purpose in the pain that this shouldn't have happened and should never happen again. And we want to make sure of that. And part of that, 
and um, is what we've been talking about for most of this hour. And we, I'm sure you were able to either see the segments that we did, or I know you've been talking to the lawmakers. And I know, Martin, you actually testified in Tallahassee in the committee meetings as these laws were going through. Give us your perspective on, did, did, you, did they do what you think is right? It was very hard. I don't think they did what was right because I shouldn't have had to go up there and testify against bills to make it easier for developers and take liability away. And when so I explain went- Explain that, explain that. I got involved because an attorney called me and said, there's a horrible bill being passed that's dropping and taking away liability from developers and pretty much putting it on the innocent property owners. After a few years- Financially, you're talking about. Fi uh, structurally and financially. Let's say the they were trying to make it, if a building collapses after seven years, it's on the unit owner. And when you buy a building, a, a unit in a building that just got developed seven years prior, and then it collapses on year eight, it would be on you. And, and that, that comes that from the developer. Part, that's no, it got dropped. That's how I got involved. Oh, I went okay. to testify against those bills. I said, you should make this stricter now. Why are you loosening up these, these regulations on developers? How, how, um, how involved were you in the legislative process, if at all? No, not at all. That I was not your thing. It, it, not at all, because my viewpoint on everything has been that there's tragedies that happen all over the world. I mean, f from earthquakes to the, the war in Ukraine to... and one of the ways that I've carried out my mission is through writing my book, Uncollapsible Soul, because there was those of us that were involved where we lost our loved ones. Uh, it's been extremely hard, extremely difficult. But at the same time, there's tragedies that happen all over the world that shouldn't happen. And so it's been to bring purpose to the pain, regardless of whether or not somebody had involvement with the Surfside collapse. So would it be proper to say you're looking forward instead of back? Is that, is that valid? Yeah. Whereas you're, you're in the process. Yeah, you are, I mean, this, this wasn't process. a natural disaster. This was, there was a negligence. A, a building just collapsed. And my way of putting purpose is making sure this doesn't happen again by actually getting involved and making sure I push these legislators to make a change because families can't go through what we went through. Yeah. They, they can't. And it doesn't really matter what religion, what you believe in or what. A building can't collapse in the middle of the night. What happened for a building to fall in 12 seconds? So when you, let's, let's go back just a little bit. We talked with uh, Vicky Lopez. I mentioned the Morabito Report. You both know what that is, right? Yeah. Do you know what the Morabito Report was? Morabito was the engineer who essentially, his records were right there for yeah. years. And in 2018, pointed out all the things that needed to be fixed in the building, and that became a focus yes. right after the collapse. So with this Morabito report, and with what was not done, and now with laws that are looking back and saying, here's what we're gonna do now so it doesn't happen again like this, do you think that what is in the laws so far that we've talked about is a good step, first step or, or whatever, but is a good step to fix those issues? I don't think it fixes the issue. What I think is when we see these reports, what we see is that there were violations from day one. So the problems are coming from the day these developers are putting shovel to the ground and the city and county inspectors go give the green light and then 30 and 40 years later we see millions of dollars in special assessments. It shouldn't be the unit owners having to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars out of pocket because the county gave a green light on a violation. La yesterday, I know you all were out yesterday. Um, I know the governor was here yesterday. Uh, 
and the mayor of Miami-Dade, all the officials that come out to pay respects to the families, and you're there. And we have some video of that from yesterday. Um, it takes me back to a year ago for the one-year anniversary, and I don't, I don't know about you, but to me it seemed like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it's crazy. So fast. Yeah. And, and I watched the families going through this ceremony and public. Mike, take us through, let us in a little bit, if you would, since, since you have graciously been one of those people who did. When the cameras are away and the ceremonies aren't there, what is your day-to-day -day like in, in relation to the grieving process? Well, in the beginning, um, I knew that I was messed up from this. and. I had to go through a healing and a restoration process because grieving is a process. Yeah. It's, it's a cycle. And so at one point I was seeing a, a therapist and a psychologist just trying to deal with the pain. And at the time, like, like you had mentioned, from the very beginning I was doing interviews and I was just trying to see, now that we've buried my grandmother, now that, is this behind me? Do I just go back to life as it was? Or is there something bigger here? And so um, I wanted to carry my grandmother's legacy forward by writing a book. And so uh, that's consumed a lot of my time. Yeah, that's, um, I think everybody grieves in different ways Definitely. and it's amazing that you found at least an outlet. Um, I wanna, I hope you can stick around for a couple more minutes because I have some more questions. We gotta take a quick break. And so we will have more with Mike Noriega and Martin Langesfeld when we come right back. with Mike and Martin, families of the victims of Champlain Tower South who so graciously give their time and their voice, um, sort of representing the families. I know that's not a sanctioned thing, but I feel like, you know, you bring the viewers in and the public in. I want to talk about, I know one of the things you've worked really hard on in particular was the memorial that so many people want on that site. Are, are you in on that as well? Do you feel I, like I haven't spoken about it publicly How do you feel because about it, it hasn't been my primary message. Would you like but to that see would a memorial be, on the site? Of course, absolutely. Would you mind if it was not on the site? For me personally, I would prefer it to be on the site um, because for me, my focus has been that my grandmother's legacy is what she left in me. It's not anything that's here on earth. Like it's not anything that's it's outside of me. It's a bit more spiritual for you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think. A memorial should be there and where it is is not my personal fight yeah um, Martin, I'm for I, it. I, I know that you I mean I, I don't want to characterize it as a personal fight but I've seen you really step up no, and I've really fight very, to have very that. involved in yeah. making sure this memorial goes on the the site of the collapse because we've seen tragedies like 9-11 happen the cause of that is very different but once it goes down and that building crumbles and there the human remains just vanish on that site in 9-11, they were able to use eight, eight acres of the collapse in prime real estate to make sure it gets remembered that here there was a terror attack. In Champlain Towers, it needs to be a place where we remember and we respect. This is the day that legislation got changed. This is the day we respect and we remember the 98 who got taken. So the entity who purchased this, um, this piece of property at auction, just this, was it this week or maybe a week and a half ago, sent out a press release really yeah. about the building that they want to build and used words like luxury and you know. I, I wonder how that sat with the families fighting to make sure or, or hope that a piece of that property 
is for a memorial. Have you have you talked to the developer at all? Have you we've, established that relationship? We've tried to, many families have tried to request meetings with the developer, and the only one that's had that meeting is Mayor Shlomo Danzinger, who had a secret meeting in Dubai. What happened behind those doors? We need transparency as families, not the mayor to go and meet with the developer, not let us know what happened behind those doors. We're just asking for a memorial to go on the site of the collapse, be incorporated. We're not trying to stop that development. And what is the city's position as far as you understand it? There's, I have no contact with him anymore. It's, with and the, it's, it's private land. It is, like yesterday I had to do my separate press conference before the event because they don't want me speaking about these things in public. Um, in the short time we have left together, I know there was uh, a settlement last year, just at about this time, the judge in the case was able to reach a billion dollar settlement for the families. There's a lot of layers of, of drama there, but what I, for our purposes today, there were entities that paid into this settlement who were accused of having a part in that collapse. Well, the entities didn't pay, insurance companies paid, no one took liability. Oh, the, and that was actually going to be my question to you and to Mike. How does, how does that sit with you that although there was this payment, nobody has accepted any kind of responsibility? There's no responsibility. There's no liability. I think it was over 40, around 40 defendants. Who's liable? Insurance companies can't just pay their way out of this. Someone has to be liable. It's been two years and we don't know the cause of the collapse. Why did this fall? Who is liable? It's not just an insurance company. There's people behind these companies. And if it was faulty inspections, Where's the inspector? What other buildings did he inspect? You can see the anger and frustration. Do you, do you feel the same? Absolutely. Um, I firmly believe that the 98 that died, they didn't just die. Their lives were taken. Their lives were robbed. And is I it, hope this never happens again. Is it more, is it more painful? because there is no closure? Is that a thing? You know, it's painful because we don't understand why, I think is what it comes down to. And like, th there will never be closure, you know? Yeah. Ever. Be yeah. Because at the end of the day, your question is gonna be, regardless of the cause, yeah. you're gonna say, why was my family in there never that closure. night? Yeah, and it's something that we may never understand why it happened, yeah. all we can really control is number one, making sure that this never happens again, but also controlling our attitude and our activity going forward from it. It's, it's really, it's our responsibility and how we respond and I think that's why you have Martin and I on here today. Mike Noriega, Martin Langesfeld, we are very grateful for your time and as always, everyone here is just with you and your families and spirit 100%. Thank you, Glenna. All right. And up next, from the front lines, the costs and the consequences of Florida's new condo laws, what's happening and what's to come for so many homeowners in South Florida. That's next. was hardly dry on the governor's signature when the costs of Florida's new condo laws became real and a real worry for so many homeowners in condominium buildings. Many are facing tough, life-changing decisions. We've been talking about that. David Haber is one of South Florida's leading attorneys in condo and construction law and is right there on the front lines with homeowners associations grappling with those. David, great to see you. 
Nice to see you too, Glenna. And I love the artwork behind you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, you know, you and I talk, we are watching those con consequences in real time and, and you are living them in real time. Set the stage for us what homeowners associations face right now. Well, the new legislation clearly takes out of the hands of board members and puts into the hands of experts such as engineers and architects what needs to be done to remediate these buildings. And that's good. And that legislation that was passed was very helpful in that regard. But there's a cost to this. And that cost is the years and years of neglect and the owners and the board members kicking the can down the road for 20 and 30 years and not fixing whether it be pool decks, balconies, balcony railings, um, garage systems, waterproofing, the expense is astronomical. I heard earlier in your segment with uh, uh, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz, the proposed federal program to assist in this process. That is essential because most banks don't want to lend for long periods of time to these condominiums. And in fact, you raised the issue about insurance insurers don't want to insure these older condominiums that have these problems. So you have banks that don't want to lend insurance companies that don't want to provide insurance and the owners are in a bind. Um, they need to raise significant amount of funds in order to do these condominium repairs in the millions, if not tens of millions yeah. of dollars. So I want to talk about what may be an unintended consequence that no one really has seen bubble to the surface yet, and I'm guessing you probably already have. The buildings now face, do we pay for all of those things? Can we pay for all of those things? And the developers who look at South Florida prime properties saying, oh, well, we have the money, we'll take it off your hands. That's a thing. Yeah, uh, the developers are chomping at the bit to get these waterfront properties all up and down the Gold Coast. So how now um, what happens? That's a that's a homeowners association now faces that decision. Yeah, you have you have two groups uh, within the condominium association. You have those that want to keep these multi-million dollar views that they bought for two or three or four hundred thousand um, dollars, and who want to pay to keep the condominium in place and are willing to pay the hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollar assessment and then you have those people either on fixed incomes or who want to take the developers proposed you know cash settlement to to, to buy the unit and these groups are there's a lot of infighting going on those that want to go and those that want to stay so how does and, that work take us inside the homeowners association meeting how did how does that work how does that get decided well, the developers go to certain owners and they try to sign contracts for the purchase and sale of those units. And they have them conditioned on getting enough units in order to terminate the condominium. And you need 80% of the owners to agree to terminate. However, any group of 5% can block the sale. So you basically have the negative 5% rule. Um, I have... I wrote an article about it in the Miami Herald about how we need to lower uh, the percentage required to terminate a condominium because you end up in a situation where the building is basically in limbo. You have people who don't want to pass the special assessment because they want to sell. You have other people who want to pass the special assessment because it needs to get done and the work needs to be you know, completed. 
and it creates a lot of tension within the community. And not only tension, but I, I just want to sort of put it, uh, an exclamation point. Uh, there are people, a very small number of people in a condo who can block everything. And then That's correct. the consequences of that, I mean, you, this is their home. People may be stuck, just stuck. Yeah, again, that's why I, I propose that they need to change the law on terminations. The developers are looking to build units that will sell for two, three, four thousand dollars a square foot, as you had said earlier, luxury units. The people that live in some of these condominiums, whether it be uh, in Surfside or Hollywood or South Beach or wherever they may be, they have large plots of land with older buildings on them. And the developers see the economics of it, and they want to take advantage of it. Uh, the new laws require the unit owners to make the re remediation and the repairs, and to do so within a short period of time. There's 180 days now for you, once that report is done by the structural engineer, you have 180 days to submit uh, your proposed remediation plan, and you have to get started on that plan within a year. It's not something that you can sit and wait on for two, three, four years. So where you sit right now, we are looking at so many buildings up and down the coast. We talk South Florida, but this is a statewide and nationwide issue. Specifically in South Florida, though, with the affordability issue, with the housing stock, unaffordable rentals for so many people, from your perch, what do you see happening in the next, I know that the timeline kind of starts at the end of next year, but in the next five years, might there be countless people who are out of their homes and looking for a place to stay in an unaffordable market? Or is that too dumb? Well, you, no, you raise an interesting point. We've talked previously, and you and I have spoken about housing crises in South Florida with the high cost of living and all of the I don't want to say New Yorkers, but Northeasterners and people coming from around the world to be in South Florida for luxury units, they all want to be on the ocean. That's going to push a lot of these people into middle market units elsewhere, which is going to take rental unit uh, occupants now who are, you know, workers, and it's going to put them out of a home as well. We have a, a low-income housing problem, which uh, the mayor of Miami-Dade County has addressed. But this is another housing crisis that is going to come down the line. These people on fixed incomes are not going to be able to live in South Florida unless there's other affordable housing for them. Um, and again, as I said, there's this tension between those that want to go and those that want to stay. And it is a big problem that is going to continue. And money is going to be the ultimate solution. Unfortunately, it's going to be about money. Isn't it always? David Haber, it is great to have you. Your expertise really value that. And, um, and I love having you as a source to hound every once in a while with this looming issues for South Florida. Thank you for having me. And we will be right back. Stay tuned. today's interviews or listen to them on our podcast all about the two years since Surfside. All you have to do is scan this QR code with your phone and it takes you right to the This Week in South Florida section of Local10.com. And you know you can connect so easily on social media and I hope you do. 
Find us, follow us, reach out, let us know what you think at Glenna WPLG on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are grateful for your time. We thank you for being with us this hour. Have a beautiful Sunday.